Automated Daydreaming, The Five Lives of Bricker Cable Juice Written by William Pauley III Narrated by Connor Brannigan Channel 32 If you don't sleep, you don't dream. In many ways, Adam's story destroys me. No matter how many times I see it, the way it loops continuously inside my mind, I feel myself aching for him in a way I don't for the others. Turning the dial to channel 32, I was able to catch part of his story I had never seen before, a nightmare taking place much later in his life, as an old man. Seeing him like this, scarred, disassembled, reassembled, broken, and suffering, actually brought physical pain to witness. At least X took away his memories. He would have had to, as no man could withstand the physical torture he was forced to endure while also suffering from such crippling mental anguish. That surely would have reached a depth of madness never before seen in man. As he said before, a man is dangerous without his family though then he surely had no idea what was to become of him. Oh, Adam, here's to hoping you never remember all you've lost. Part 1 Gunshots! Gunshots! I hear men screaming. I can hear them. Three, at least. They're dying. Screaming for God. Gordon? I'm scared. 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 What do they want from us? What is it they want? What do they want from us, Gordon? Where are you? Do they have you? Are you there, Gordon? Are you there? Gordon, please, God, Gordon! Gordon is gone. Gordon is gone. This room is empty. Gordon is gone. I need to leave. I'm leaving. I need to find Gordon. My eye. Where did I leave my eye? False it is. Pure white. A gift from Gordon. Nowhere. The cupboards? The stove? The mug? Yes, the mug is where I left my eye. <laughs> Cold it is. Icy water. Goddamn winter, freezing my socket. Goddamn this room. Goddamn this building. I'd kill just for the body heat. It's so goddamn cold. The front door is frozen shut. I beat the piss out of it. I beat the living hell out of it. Ice is breaking, falling to my boots. The letter. I see the letter. The letter from Gordon. I see the letter. I never want to read. Gordon always leaves me. Gordon always leaves me here. I never want to read. Never. Forever in my pocket. Never will I read. I break open the door. There is a box outside. Lazarus. My name. Written on the box. It's from Gordon. He's left me again. Gordon is gone. And the box? Happiness. Enough to last while Gordon is gone. I hope. Dear God, help us! There is a man lying down in the hall, screaming. He is bleeding, dying. But is he asking for me or asking for God? I should leave. Gordon? I must find Gordon. I turn and look at the man, bleeding, terrified, cold. But I must find Gordon. I cannot stop. Hey, you! We need help! Call an ambulance! Please, old man! Help us! I look back. The man is pointing a gun at me. I walk toward him. He is young, much younger than me. Maybe thirty, forty years old. He is not alone. In Gordon's room there are two others. Neither are moving. Blood pours from their lifeless bodies. Did you do this, Gordon? Did you take these lives? 
There is a gold badge hanging from the dying man's belt. He grabs at his chest. Uh, look, I don't want to hurt you. It's just we need help, and you were walking away. Are you a police officer? My voice, raspy and weak, always out of breath, I am. Detective, John Gray. We came to bust this guy, Gordon. Somehow, he knew we were coming. He clutched his hand over his heart, as if he could touch his pain and remove it, violently tearing it away. Shot three times, one in each leg and another in the right side of his chest. Walking closer to Detective Gray, I notice him wince. He can't stand the horror of my malformed face. A hideous beast I am! Unworthy to breathe I am! Gordon, he never winced. Gordon, my only friend. I touch the cavernous trenches of my scarred face. I know. A wretched beast, I am. But I, I wouldn't be alive if not for Gordon. He's saved me. The detective traces the scars with his perfect working eyes, trying to make sense of their placement. What happened to him, he wonders. Forever wonders. His eyes clamp shut. His chest, the pain is too much. He clenches his fists. Ah, oh, God, can you find a phone? I think Dodd had one. He's the one on the left. Check his pockets. I walk over to Dodd. Stone cold Dodd. Half of his head blown across the room. Parts of him stuck to the walls and ceiling. I dig my hand into the pockets of dead Dodd's jacket. I find a toothpick, a wallet, a bag of pistachios, and a cell phone. Before taking the phone back to Detective Gray, I walk over to the closet and grab Gordon's toolbox. The toolbox has everything needed to perform an emergency surgery of any kind. Scalpels, hammers of all sizes, a chisel, clamps, a staple gun. Anything a doctor would ever need. Gordon, Gordon is a good man. He helps me. Dear God, what has he done to you? I walk back over to Detective Gray, his skin growing pale. I hand him the phone. I open the toolbox and shuffle through its contents. The detective dials for help, eyeballing my every move. The detective is having trouble speaking. He pauses. Thanks. This is Detective John Gray. We need an ambulance. Three men down, possibly two dead. 200 Archer Avenue, the old Peterson building. We're on the 17th floor. I walk into Gordon's kitchen and grab a glass of warm water and stir in a cup of salt. I quickly walk back into the hallway. Detective Gray, no longer on the phone, is now applying pressure to the wound in his chest, taking in quick, deep breaths. He coughs and blood fills his mouth, his tongue drowning, sloshing within the gore, his teeth pale pink. He spits on the carpet. The detective looks up at me. Did you get help? Yeah. An ambulance will be here in five to ten minutes. I fumble frantically through the toolbox, looking for tweezers. The detective coughs again, spitting more blood on the carpet. What are you doing? You need help. I'm getting, I'm getting help. You need help now or you will die. Frustrated with searching, I dump the contents of the toolbox onto the floor of the hallway. Here we go. I hold up a large pair of surgical steel tweezers. I dig the tips into his chest wound. About two and a half inches deep, I can feel the metal of the tweezers scraping against the metal of the bullet. Metal on metal. I can feel it, hear it. Blood seeps, and now I even taste it. 
I let up on my grasp, allowing the tweezers to pull apart the wound just enough for me to slide the tips down each side of the bullet. Blood pools and I see nothing but mirrored red, bright and blinding. I feel around with the end of the tweezers, get a grip on the bullet and pull it straight out of the wound. Detective Gray, who held his breath for the entirety, finally exhales at the sight of the flattened shrapnel exiting his body. Gore gushes from the wound with each heartbeat, splattering across my gray trench coat. I don't mind. Never do I mind. I pour the warm salt water into the wound. Detective Gray howls. Jesus! Fuck! The salt! It will clean it! Slow the bleeding! I pull out a needle and a thread from Gordon's toolbox and begin to sew the detective's chest wound shut. It is silent now. The detective tries not to look down at my crooked fingers working away. Instead, he speaks. I look up at him, puzzled. My fingers slow, my eye wide. Gordon. Why were you going to leave? Why weren't you going to help us? Detective Gray looks at me. He wants me to speak. The detective looks into my eye, my left eye, my one good eye. He nods, then loses consciousness. Gordon, where have you gone? Gordon! He is all I have. A door swings open violently down the hallway behind us. The doorknob buries itself into the deteriorating sheetrock, serving as an anchor, allowing the paramedics and police officers to scuttle through the doorway like a raging stampede. Immediately I am thrown belly down onto the floor by an enraged police officer. He thinks I'm Gordon. Two of his kind are dead. I understand his frustration. I don't resist. The paramedics surround Detective Gray. The police officers surround the cadavers. You'll burn in hell for this. You'll burn in hell for this. It's the last thing I will hear tonight. The officer plows an elbow into my face. The impact causes two of my rotted teeth to tear through the soft tissue of my cheek. My eye, my left eye, my one good eye, sees only white. Part 2 I am awake in a cell. Jail or prison? I do not know. The stone walls are wet with night air. A massive iron door is placed between the world and me. A massive iron door protects the entire human race from me. Me, Lazarus. Ha! An old fucking man I am. This impenetrable cell wasted on such old bones. Of all the hatred, terrors, horrors in the world, this cell is wasted on me. Time has no presence in this place. The sun, the moon, may as well not even exist. I count the days as they pass by the number of meals I am served. So far, seventeen, nearly six days. I haven't had any medication. My stomach churns. I never eat the meals they bring me, only the bread. A migraine pulses through the tiny nerves in my brain with such violence I fear my skull will split in two. The only relief comes from vomiting water and bile when the pain becomes impossible. Gordon warned me about not taking my medicine. But I didn't forget. I just don't have it. I may never have it again. I may never see him again. Get used to it, I should. So I lay here in my cell. I shouldn't expect anything, I know. But I find myself waiting for him. The heavy metal slot on my iron door unlocks and slides, revealing the tired old eyes of the night guard. You have a visitor. Who? Gordon. 
Gordon, Gordon. Just get on your feet, old man. I obey his request, and the guard slides the lock and opens the heavy door. He takes me from my cell down a long and dark hallway. There are a total of eight other iron doors, just like mine down this hallway. In the distance, a guard calls for lights out. Then it hits me. Lights out. It's too late for visitors. Gordon would never see me here, a wanted man. He would have to be insane to show his face here. Gordon is no loon. Panic sends its death shock through to the tips of my every nerve. I scream as loud as an old man can and am quickly silenced. The officer hurls me face first into the stone brick wall and presses cold blue steel to my temple. Look, fuckface, if it were up to me, I'd splatter your goddamn brains out right here all over this wall. But it ain't up to me. He pulls his gun away and shoves me down the hall. Now shut the fuck up and walk. The officer leads me into an empty interrogation room. A two-way mirror, a swinging light fixture, just like on television. I take a seat at the table in the middle of the room. Another door opens. It's Detective Gray. He is in a wheelchair with a bandage across his chest and a cast on each leg. Hey, buddy. Remember me? I remember. They tell me your name is Lazarus. They are. Correct. The detective laughs at my awkwardness. Well, first I want to say thank you. You saved my life. The doc said if you hadn't been there that night, then I would have been buried on Tuesday along with my partners. I nod, staring blankly, concentrating more on the painful swelling of my brain than to the detective's words. I move my eye to meet his. The detective sighs. And second, I want to apologize. They didn't tell me that you were arrested until earlier today when I was released from the hospital. I've already spoken to the warden, and he is filing the necessary paperwork to get you released as soon as possible. I can go home? Uh, not quite. The experts here feel you aren't capable of living on your own. There are also a few doctors who are very interested in your, you know, condition. My condition? They want to know what Gordon has done to you, Lazarus. They can help you. Detective Gray's face begins to melt. His skin liquefies and slides off his skull, streaming down his neck and soaking into the collar of his shirt. My vision blurs. I close my eye tight and reboot. His face is restored. I need my medication. Medication? Happiness. Gordon has me take it. Every day. Happiness? It keeps visions away. I have demons. Where would one find this medicine? In my room, my home, there is a box. Lazarus, it will say. Lazarus in heavy black ink, written by the pen of my father, my only friend. My eye wells and a tear streams down my cheek. The detective raises a suspicious brow. Gordon! Gordon is gone. Gordon is your father? Yes. How old are you, Lazarus? Fifty. Fifty? Wow, really? Don't take offense, but I had you pegged at about eighty or ninety. Fifty. You know, I'll be forty-five next month. Are you saying that you're only five years older than me? 
Questions, questions, always questions. Fifty. Fifty. Okay. Well, the reason I ask is because this guy Gordon, he's fifty-nine years old. My eye meets his and quickly pulls away to the left. So that would have made Gordon nine years old when you were born. Does that sound about right? I don't answer his questions. Always with questions. His suspicious, perfect working eyes. His motor mouth. I want him silenced. No answer, you fool. Swine. I call bullshit. You're much older than you're leading on, and there's no way in hell that Gordon is your father. You're hiding something, Lazarus. Look, I understand I owe you, but I still have a job to do, Lazarus. You got that? Stupid pig-fucking mule! I'm going to get you your medicine, but if anyone asks, you didn't get it from me. I'll do this one thing, but that's it. I'm going to find Gordon and have his ass fried, even if it's the last goddamn thing I... I leap across the table and dig my nails into the never-silent throat of Detective Gray. For three full seconds, I feel a rush of adrenaline flowing through my veins and emptying out through my fingertips. Two officers burst into the room and pull me off the handicapped detective. Skin beneath my nails. Bloody fingers. I had his life in my hands. Bastard wants to kill my father. My only friend, Gordon. The officers force me to walk down another hallway, different than the one I came through just minutes before. A feeling of terror calms my rage. Where are you taking me? You're going to solitary. You've got to be the dumbest motherfucker alive, old man. Assaulting a police officer? Are you serious? The two officers push me into a dark room and slam the heavy door shut. The lock snaps in place. I hear their laughs grow faint as they walk away. Again, I am alone. Always alone. Gordon? Part 3 the dark, she plays tricks on the eyes, she does. Night is the earth's eyelids. So many sights I've seen in the night. First the frogs. They pour down like heavy rain from the pipes above. Giant bullfrogs with three rows of teeth. Razor-wire teeth they had. Hungry for the blood of the weak. Me! I was the weak. I was able to squeeze the life from the first few, but as the numbers grew, I wasn't able to kill them fast enough. It was over at first bite. That first taste of blood was enough to drive them mad. They ripped every tendon from its bone. I collapsed to the wet floor, no muscle to stand. They leapt onto my back, ripping into flesh like lions feasting. Finding my face, they dug fangs an inch deep, pulling muscle and gore from the bloody skull that lay beneath. One frog plucked out my right eye, not knowing it was false, choked and died. I laughed at the sight, grateful for this one small victory, before finally submitting to the enemy. Then I awoke, as I always would after such strange visions, laying still in the dark. Another of these visions occurred shortly after the first, this time taking me out of my darkened cell entirely and into a colder world surrounded by mountains of snow and ice. Standing in front of me, eyes frozen, almost glass, was Gordon. He wasn't combed or shaven. He was smiling, eerily smiling. He was calm. He never blinked. We both stood and stared at each other in silence for several moments. 
Finally, he spoke. Sleep. My mind begs for it, but my eyes, they always seem to wander, endlessly, aimlessly. I'm not certain why the world focuses on such petty matters. We all should be preparing for the future. Beasts that as of now only exist to us in a fairy tale will be stampeding the earth with a hunger for blood. The devil is in the waiting. Surely someone feels his presence. In the vision I knew exactly what Gordon was trying to tell me. In the real world I wasn't sure. Gordon spoke of the devil as if he witnessed his descent into hell. Gordon spoke of God as if he were dead. He always spoke of a revelation, a rapture, but never in those words, and never in the typical Christian perspective. Instead, he spoke of the devil's reign on earth as if it were imminent within our lifetime. How demons would dig up the earth, out of hell and through the yards of our neighbors to devour their sons and rape their daughters. Sometimes I was convinced he was an angel, Gordon. He knew the design of the human body as if he himself had helped God create us. The miracles, the miracles this man has performed. As if he had the specific blueprints in his head it was. Complete knowledge of anatomy and physiology he had, like no other doctor before him. And the miracles he has performed on me, Lazarus? I was born again. My scars all necessary. I would not be here without Gordon. I would not be. Gordon not only had the blueprints, he improved them. He enhanced my body in ways no earthly doctor could. Through all the surgeries and medications, Gordon gave me everlasting life. And Detective Gray hopes to kill this blessed man. I will bury his black bones before I ever let him bring harm to Gordon. Returning to the vision. After Gordon spoke his last word, he began to decompose. His skin and bones rotted before my eyes. His jawbone was the last to fall, landing on the pile of ash that was quickly taken by the wind. He was gone. Gordon. Always gone. Always leaving. I was again left in the dark. The dark. Such vile, rotten things come from the dark. I lay on stone now. My cell is cold. I don't feel the walls or even sense their presence. I feel removed from myself, my body, and this cell. My eye starts twitching, peeking, focusing. Finally, there is light. Dim she is, but still light. A dark figure stands before me, unfocused. The dark, she lives inside me. Focusing, focusing, but the dark is still inside me, fighting, trying to kill it. The figure, she is a woman, crying, full of fear. She puts a hand to her mouth. The dark pulls its shade, and I sleep. Adam. My mind becomes electric. Part 4 I am awake and alert. I am in a hospital room surrounded by noisy machines, the smell of coffee, 3 a.m. 
I am nervous. I am nervous because I am in pain. I am in pain because all my scars have been reopened. I have a beard and slightly longer hair than when I first fell asleep. Something has happened to me. A nurse walks in. The scene curdles her blood. She turns and walks out the door. A doctor steps in moments later. He is prepared to look at me. He does not shudder. How are you feeling? I'm so nervous I'm trembling. That bad, huh? Well, you're going to need your rest, so I'll make this brief. You've been drifting in and out of a coma for nearly three weeks now. In that time, we've run a few tests and found many peculiarities with your condition. My condition. Again, my condition. This guy, Gordon, he has really done a number on you. We found foreign materials in nine areas of your body, many serving no mortal purpose, but rather seem to have been placed for his own amusement. Are you aware your body has been wired to be accessed and controlled via remote control? Remote control? Yes, there were mechanisms which we've disabled, located in your hands and feet were equipped to receive radio commands and were cabled throughout your body via a confusing and complicated hardwire setup. We also found peculiar machine parts located in your heart, your left forearm, your inner thigh on your right leg, between your shoulder blades, and your brain. A living autopsy. Although we weren't able to pinpoint the exact function of many of these machines, we were able to quickly identify the purpose of and remove what we've been calling the spider implant. The body of the spider implant was located in the frontal lobe of your brain, with several legs reaching across and pinching sections responsible for retaining long-term memory. We simply traced your scars when making our incisions, as to not cause any further scarring. Why would I care about scarring? The doctor laughs. I'm confused. How am I alive? How could I have possibly survived this? I don't honestly know. But here you are. You risked me dying? To be fair, you are in far better shape now than you were when you arrived. You were not well when you came into this building. For that, you're welcome. The doctor gives a half-smile and sighs. Okay, okay. This is a lot to take in all in one sitting. Why don't you get some rest, and I'll come check on you after a bit. I nod. The doc gives me the other half of the smile and exits the room. I study the seeping faults interrupting my skin in disgust. Such a wretch I am. To be beaten and burned I deserve. It's then that I notice the neatly wrapped box sitting on the table next to me. I reach over and pick it up. The tag reads, To Lazarus. Now we're even. I rip off the wrapping and beneath a familiar box. Lazarus, it reads. Lazarus in heavy black ink. Written by the pen of my father, my only friend, Gordon. I remove a syringe from the box and push out the air bubbles. I take out my right eye, my glass eye, and inject 40 milliliters of happiness directly into my frontal lobe through the empty socket. 
My body begins to convulse and spasm. Never once has this happened. I am supposed to be free. The machines that surround me begin to howl, and soon doctors and nurses enter. They poke and prod at me, this living corpse, in hopes to find an answer. An answer to silence the machines. An answer to what they found beneath my scars. An answer that must be given by me. Part 5 Gordon sets his suitcase down on the armchair. He looks at me with fire. We are in a seedy motel room. The air is thick with mold. A voice in my head whispers the year 1978, but the month escapes me. Gordon, always smiling, bends down and snaps open the suitcase. He steps back. The two halves of the heavy suitcase separate about an inch, then fall shut again. Something is living inside it. Someone. He takes perch behind the armchair so he can see both me and the case, his smile sometimes slipping into marvelous, excited yelps. The suitcase opens again slightly, and a woman's frail, delicate hand slides through. My eye widens with shock, shifting between Gordon and the hand and back again. I don't know what to do. I am frozen with fright. Gordon, hardly able to contain himself, speeds up the process by lifting the suitcase top away for her. The woman lifts her head slowly and looks around the room somehow overlooking us both. She pushes her upper body up and out of the case. Her long, dark hair falls onto her shoulders. She is silent. Her head bobs and jerks as the anesthesia Gordon gave her slowly begins to wear off. She is wearing nothing but a short white silk nightgown and a pair of pale pink panties. Her legs are numb. She carelessly throws herself to the floor, suitcase tumbling after. She throws her head up and wrenches herself forward with her hands, collapsing after only one strenuous pull. Her body lays limp. Finally, she gains enough strength to pull up to her knees, but is still paralyzed at the legs. Gordon steps out from behind the armchair, slowly walking towards her. He looks up at me and places a finger to his grin signaling for me to keep quiet as he reveals an ice pick menacingly clutched in his hand. The woman weeps. Her innocent wail plucks at my heartstrings, falling silent now by Gordon's insensitive hand. He pushes the pick into her heart and quick. It digs deep into the back of her skull, but somehow does not kill her. Gordon is precise in his ways. If he wants her alive, she will remain alive. If he wants silence, then silence she'll be. If he doesn't want her to remember, you better believe she won't remember a thing. Gordon grabs a hold of the woman's long, dark hair in his fist and pulls her to her feet. He turns his attention to me, smiling again, always smiling. Ready? Are you ready, Laz? Ready for what, Gordon? Gordon howls and tosses the woman onto the bed. The woman looks at us in horror. 
Gordon crawls on top of her and drags his slimy tongue across her cheek. He grabs a handful of her hair and breathes the stench of her sweat into his lungs. Gordon looks into her eyes, revealing his intentions without saying a word. I hesitate. Gordon whips his head around and stares at me with wicked eyes, and immediately I cower and give in, hoping if I comply he'll return his attention to the girl. A coward I am. I loosen the button on my pants, and they fall to my ankles. Gordon takes hold of the woman's silk nightgown in both hands and rips the material from her body, exposing her naked breasts and torso. The woman is screaming inside. I can see the fear in her eyes. Gordon rips the panties from her trembling hips and spreads her legs wide open. And now to plant the seed, lass. Completely powerless, I am. I obey his command. Gordon, still holding her legs, watches as I penetrate her. I'm raping her. She is raping me. Two people having sex against our will. The blood trickling from the hole in her head soaks the sheets as I pump my hips. She's paralyzed. Tears run down her temples from the corners of her eyes. <sighs> when I finish, I run to the bathroom and vomit into the commode. I'd like to think this was only a dream, but the doctors here tell me these dreams and visions are actually memories releasing into my conscience as my frontal lobe heals. And believe them, I do. They are too real, too terrifying. I'm ashamed of the memories that have returned over the last week. More than ashamed. Completely disgusted. The hospital transferred me here to the sleep clinic after I had complained of severe nightmares, one of which lasted for seventeen hours. Unable to awaken, I was. Memories tear out from the depths of my brain and alter my reality and self-perception. Torture it is. Pure hell. Put an end to it, I will. I will never sleep again. It takes over two hours for a doctor to see me. The clinic is much different than the hospital in that way. At the hospital, I was able to get a nurse or doctor at any given notice. Here, they couldn't care less. If I were to die here in this room, I likely wouldn't be found until hours later when room service arrives. I'm exaggerating, of course, but at times it felt like a ghost town. The doctor finally walks in, keeping his arms crossed so that he can easily glance at the face of his watch without making it too obvious to me. Wasting his time, I am. I understand you wish to speak with me? Yes, I want to be. Put on medication. Oh, really? What sort of medication? Something to keep me awake. Awake? You did good, Laz, my boy. You made Daddy proud. Lazarus, this is a sleep clinic. I know this, but I'm afraid of my dreams. The doctor laughs. Our purpose in studying your dreams is to find out more about this Gordon. 
There is absolutely no way we can do that with you awake. If you don't sleep, you don't dream. Yes, exactly. I am afraid. Look, I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do about it. My eye sees only red. I have other patients to attend to. Is there anything else you need? I shake my head. Try and have a nice night, Lazarus. I'll be speaking with you when you wake up tomorrow morning. The doctor exits the room. The thought occurs to me that perhaps they are lying. Perhaps the dreams are only dreams, and they are just trying to get me to turn against Gordon. Pulled me away, they did. He may have come back for me. Inject me with drugs and speak into my ears as I sleep, they do. Turning the cogs while I dream. Making me feel in control when I have no control. I will show them. Find Gordon on my own, I will. Later that night, a nurse comes to prep me for the sleep exam. Just before she injects me with the prescribed sleeping meds, I leap to my feet and jam the syringe into her neck. The nurse falls limply to the floor. I drag her body into the bathroom. I walk down the many empty hallways, dodging two night watchmen standing by the door. They are talking, laughing, watching TV. They don't even notice as I exit the building. This is my escape. Much easier than I'd anticipated. But again, this is no prison. Just an ordinary, understaffed clinic. I set out on the dark streets of the city. Gordon is out here somewhere. Find him, I will. I reach into my pocket and pull out the letter Gordon left for me on the night of the gunshots. The night I saved the life of that unappreciative Detective Gray. My hands trembled in anger as I unfold the letter. Only seven words appear on the page, scrawled by hand in black marker. I will wait for you in hell. This has been Automated Daydreaming. The Five Lives of Bricker Cable Juice Written by William Pauley III Narrated by Connor Brannigan Copyright 2016 and 2021 by William Pauley III Production Copyright by William Pauley III